you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, this is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. And now a man who's a millionaire buying eggs in the 2023 egg crisis of uh, America here going on. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine just bought a flag, a whole flat of eggs, and I think spent fifty bucks or something. Something crazy like that. It's a good time to be a veganese if you if you aren't already. Uh, I haven't noticed because I don't eat eggs much. Uh, but yeah, wow. Okay, so uh, put you can now put eggs evidently in your four hundred one k portfolio. But something tells me those eggs are just as good as investing in FTX. We're we're on with uh, Tom Dennis. We're going to be talking to him today. He's a co-author of a book, uh, two books actually, The Art of Risk and Reward by Shelley Jorgensen. And uh, he contributed to that book and another. We'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, and we're going to be talking to him about leadership and uh, business and everything else that goes into it. Uh, Tom is a uh, change agent with skills and strategies. He's got a master in it. Expertise is a certified facilitator accredited by the CQ Center and an NLP master practitioner. He's got 17 years experience as an officer in the Royal Marines and having worked extensively around the world, Tom brings all of his experience together as CEO of Serenity in Leadership and as a speaker, facilitator, and change agent consultant, and educator. For the last 30 years, his career has been dedicated to facilitating transformation through organizational change. He is passionate about resolving the breadth of issues around good leadership and strives to bring healing and renewal in the face of dysfunction in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you? Chris, thank you very much. I loved your introduction. Uh, you, you, you've got to stand up and dance when you hear that, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> you do. And what's nice is it brings a great pace to the show. Most great comedy and, and, and entertaining shows, there's kind of a pace. And so it sets a great tone and pace for the show. Uh, so welcome to the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebages in the sky. The, uh, it's Serenity in Leadership, or one word, .com. There you go. There you go. So uh, what? What? Uh, talk to us a little bit about your life path. Uh, what sort of journey did you have, what upbringing, and what made you get interested in leadership and principles and business and stuff? Wow. <clears throat> um, so uh, I was very formed at an early age because I went to boarding school. Mm. And uh, that, uh, you know, the – some of your listeners have probably heard about the, the British system, but it, it does actually form people, not necessarily well, but it certainly <laughs> forms them. Uh, and you can see that in uh, amongst uh, British politicians in, in particular. Um, so uh, I, I went through that, and then um, I, uh, I became a lifeguard for a while, which influenced me very much um, later on. But then I, I decided to try and be a pilot, so I... Um, went to commercial pilot license, uh, um, uh, pilot school. And uh, halfway through, I, I, I think I probably scared my instructor a little bit too much because they invited me to, to leave. So <laughs> I, 
I, uh, I went into industry. I, I found the dirtiest, nastiest job I could do, which earned me enough money to carry on flying because I didn't like somebody telling me I couldn't do something. So I, uh-huh. I carried on flying until I got my um, a private pilot's license. But then really it was a bit too too much. So the, the, the business took me on and I learned all sorts of things about being a manager and, and they sent me to school. And uh, one of my old friends who'd been um, – at the, at the lifeguard, lifeguard with me in the swimming pool, he joined the Royal Marines and he came back and I just saw a different person. I mean, he was completely transformed. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. I think I could do with a bit of that. So, um, I, uh, I walked into a recruiting office, uh, which was just around the corner from the school they sent me to. And I said, um, what does it take to join, join the Royal Marines? And he said, are you crazy? And I said, well, probably. He said, right, we'll come in and sit down. <laughs> and uh, we, we started to talk about it. So I, I joined and um, ended up spending 17 years there. Wow. Um, which, was, which was brilliant, you know, lots of adventures and um, moving ar- around the world and doing various things. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, um, I, I left in 91 after the, the first Gulf War. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd been teaching at... Um, at Greenwich at that time, uh, leadership. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and so I thought, well, what do I do? So uh, I joined the only coaching company in the country at the time and trained as a coach and then developed from there. Set up a business, didn't go too well. Set up another business, went slightly better yeah. and, uh, and so on. Um, and then I, having done all this coaching and facilitation, I thought I'd better go to to school and find out what it is that I've been doing all this time. So I, I, that's when I did the, the, the master's degree in, in um, change agent skills. Mm-hmm. And that took me into coaching, facilitation, and um, changing cultures. And nice. really, it's just developed from there um, over quite a long period of time. Serenity and Leadership came later, really after a lot of explorations I did a- around exploring um, the masculine and the feminine and how the – as I see it, the feminine is very suppressed uh, in both men and women. Um, you know, you, it certainly doesn't apply to all women, but an awful lot of very successful senior women have got to the top of organizations by being more of a man than being themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I'm looking for ways to bring back the feminine because I think that's what we need. Really? In leadership? And, uh-huh. and running tribes and, and stuff like that. That's very interesting. Uh, it's, it, you know, work and work in, in the f- kind of fields that, that, uh, are highly successful. I mean, it's, it's a pretty masculine thing to be in those. I mean, you can't, you can't have emotion running those things. So that's, it's interesting. Um, so, uh, how long have you been, how, how you've been, how long you've had your company now, Serenity Leadership? Well, Serenity Leadership grew out of the original company, which was Phoenix Obsidian. So b- between the two of them, um, it's been 28 years, I think. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you guys yeah. have a lot of people that work with you there. You have a lot of employees. Uh, not many employees. We, we use um, associates. I, I, okay. I, you know, I, I prefer that because I can bring in the particular expertise for a particular job. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So what do you find most com- uh, companies are struggling with or what, maybe what leaders are struggling with nowadays? Well, I think there's a, a, a lot of new challenges that have come. Mm. It's, it's really difficult to be a CEO. You're beholden to the shareholders uh, in particular. And um, 
what shareholders require, which is normally very short term, is not actually necessarily what's good for an organization. Um, but on top of that, we've had the pandemic and then people, a lot of employees have reviewed themselves and said, well, do I want to work in this way anymore? And a lot of them have said, well, actually, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, a lot of the sort of the 50-year-old the up, upwards have said, I've got enough to live on. I don't need to own anymore. Yeah. So I'm, I'm off. So there's quite a large chunk of people um, in the older, well, older um, generations who um, have been lost to the business. Mm. to business and and so um ceos now they've got to they've got to look at what is hybrid working and and how do we manage all these people who want to work from home and how do we make the the business work um and i think you know some people are very stuck and they want to go back to the old ways and there's an awful lot of people saying well actually no i i want to do this differently so a big push in that way on top of that you've got things like mental health and well-being which nobody talked about 10 years ago, frankly. Mm. Um, uh, but now it's a huge subject. Um, you've got, um, uh, after George Floyd, you've got, you've got, uh, people who, and, you know, I think a lot of CEOs have really resisted that. It, it's like, it's, it's, I don't want to talk about that. It takes me away from the business. I need to, I need to attend to the figures. I need to, to make sure that things are, are functioning. And so they're being forced to look at lots of new things. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's like society is pushing uh, organizations and corporations where in the, um, not that long ago, it was the other way around. Yeah. And, and uh, so that puts a lot of stresses on CEOs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the model has really changed with COVID. Uh, you know, I, I work remotely, you know, doing what I do since 2004. So I was used to doing whatever I want, whenever I want. But, uh, you know, suddenly everyone joined me in the, in the, uh, Zoom, the Zoom world, uh, and working remotely and online. Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, welcome. I mean, I've been doing this. I'm kind of used to it. Uh, and, and, uh, now, you know, everything's turned upside down. I, I imagine, I, I imagine over in Europe where you're at, you guys are struggling with the same thing with, uh, uh, remote workers, workers that don't want to return to work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, I think it's, well, in, 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 I don't know about all countries, but in, in many, many countries that you're having this, this shift. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got people that have 30-year leases they sign on their office buildings, and they <laughs> they're sitting empty. I, I saw I saw one company that they signed a 30-year lease, and they forced all their employees to come back. Their employees are pissed, and yeah. they're having to deal with it. But they've, you know, they what are they going to do? You got to, you know, you got <laughs> a lot of people never saw this thing coming. But that's that's the way change works, right? Um, it, it certainly is. I, I was, uh, I always took my hat off to, um, Wimbledon, you know, the, the tennis, uh, tournament there. They were one of the very, very few companies that had um, pandemic insurance. Really? Uh, yes. Pandemic so, insurance? I didn't know. I would have bought some of that. Well, <laughs> well, you know, it's a, there's a, there was a, a book I'd, I, uh, I quoted on another podcast. I, I couldn't remember the name of the book, but it was, it, it was called Inevitable Surprises. Uh, and in that, huh. 
you know, if you think about that, inevitable surprises, they're, they're things that take people by surprise. But actually, if you think about it, it's bound to happen. And there was a chapter in the end of that book, which was all about pandemics. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, some people saw the, this, this, this coming. Yeah. In 2004, yeah, the, the World Health Organization for the last 20 or 30 years have been hearing them say that there, you know, there was a pandemic coming or something that would be really scary. Like, you know, some of the movies we saw that were very apocalyptic. Uh, I remember in the 90s or 2000s, I watched a movie about some, you know, virus with monkeys and, and, you know, everyone gets the disease and dies and, and, uh, you're just like, holy crap. And so when the pandemic started, it, it really, uh, was going on. Do you, what do you think about the younger generation? What are you seeing in the younger generation with millennials and Gen Z's in leadership? Uh, are they getting it? Are they adopting to it? Are they, you know, cause their, their versions, especially with the Gen Z's is very, is a very different work ethic. Yes, it is. And hallelujah yeah, for if that. There is, if you can call it an ethic, I don't know. Or call it working. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Gen Zers. I'm teasing you. <laughs> well, I, I, I really respect them. Actually, I, I mean, I, 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 um, I, I try and have a, an intern working with me. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I love doing that because the, 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 um, the challenge and the thought process that they, they bring are so different to, to the older generations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're far less compromising. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they want to, and, and I think a lot of organizations are having to learn that. Um, you know, people being recruited now are actually saying, well, what's your, what's the purpose of your organization? <laughs> I, I need to know what your purpose is because I need to get behind it. If you don't have one or your purpose is just to make money, you can sing for it. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. It, it's um, interesting, and and they don't want to work one job either. They want to work, they want to flirt about the the thing, uh, the the, co- the company website or the company jobs. And my my friends that hire Gen Zs, they're like, they want to you hire them for one job, and they want to do a bunch of other jobs. And you're like, no, this is the one you do, and then you earn your way to the other. So it's kind of interesting, and it's it's going to be interesting how they're, you know, we saw what the millennials had an effect, and, you know, a lot of the electronic and apps and different things we have the way we work now come from the millennials. So it'll be interesting to see what they're contributing is. Um, does, does leadership seem to be a lost art? Because sometimes when I talk about leadership to people, they glaze over a little bit on me. And Or if I ask them what their leadership techniques or behaviors or skills are, sometimes I get a blank stare like, uh, I don't know, I just kind of do what I do. I don't really think about it. How interesting. Um, do you find a lot of leaders that you work with, uh, they know their leadership style, they know how they're applying leadership and stuff? I think that fundamentally leaders that are going to be successful in the future mm-hmm. have got to know themselves. Yeah. And, and that's something that um, I think uh, older leaders or managers have not applied themselves to. So you find that some successful leaders know themselves very well, but they haven't worked at it. It just happens that they, they've got that naturally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But there's a huge amount of, I was writing something about dysfunctional leadership the other day. Someone mm-hmm. was asking the question, you know, how do you handle a dysfunctional leader? Uh, and it's like, these, these people are, are, um, blind and deaf to what's going on around them. And, uh, what used to be acceptable just isn't anymore. Um, uh, and so, uh, I, I really think that leaders, 
who, well, people who aspire to leadership have got to explore themselves. What are their beliefs? What are their values? Um, what drives them? What's their purpose in mm. life? And how does that resonate or not with the organization they're working with? You know, you, you get all these organizations who have all these, this, they, they do this, they, they spend a fortune with one of the big consultancies and they put all these values up on the wall. And then one day people come into work and they look at this and they say, Oh, is that my value? I didn't know that. You know, <laughs> and, and it's a, it's a utter waste of money and time. Um, so you, you've really got to enroll people and, and to, it's much easier if they've got a sense, a sight of what drives them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think the younger generation are more conscious of that. That's interesting. You know, and it's true. There's, there's a lot of insightful stuff you have to go to be a leader. I think some of the, some of the leaders I talk to when, when they give me that blank back, they, they kind of have a toolkit they're working in their mind, but they don't really think about it. It's, it's kind of become second nature. Like it, like it has for me. I mean, uh, I can build a business in my sleep. I mean, the modeling and everything. I just know what to do. I don't even think about it anymore. Like I've, and I've had people say that to me. They're like, why are you doing it this way? Do you think, I just know what to do. Um, yeah, I'm 55. <laughs> I've seen all. Um, and, and, uh, so, you know, but a lot of leaders, I think at some time in their career had to be introspective, had to really think consciously about what they were doing and what works. And I think after a while they kind of, they kind of get into subconscious mode and know what works, but it's always, it's always important, I think, to revisit that and to constantly be aware of what's going on. And, and of course, changes in the environment of leadership. I know a lot of my friends that are leaders, uh, you know, like the newest generation or like COVID coming in, they've, they've got to adopt or adapt to that. That's the point. Mm -hmm. you know, everyone throws around the word agile uh, these days, but I think leaders do have to be agile. You know, in, in the old days, you could have a structure, you could have a process, uh, uh, and, and you knew how to do things. But actually, things are moving too fast now. You can't depend on um, uh, um, solid structures. You've got to be much more flexible and be able to... to, to to move, it's, it's you know, it's like the old old um, metaphor of the the, the tree uh, and the reed. You know, the reed bends in the in the wind, um, mm -hmm. and the, uh, eventually the tree may fall down. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, leaders today who are being successful are much more fleet of foot. They're much more agile. There you go. There you go. I mean, you have to be when it really comes down to it. You know, some of the things you've talked about too on the internet, uh, how to create a culture where it's safe to speak out. Talk to us a little bit about that. There was an article you did for uh, the hrdirector.com. I did. You're right. Um, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think in the old days, you arrived and your contract was do the work, we'll pay you for a certain amount of hours and you go home. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, the management, we led. But today it's, it's much more, as we've just been talking about, the, the younger generations, there's that sense of, um, well, what's my part in this? And you said some people want a, a couple of jobs. They want to be moving on in, in some way. So it's, it's, it's d d um, creating a culture 
where people feel safe to actually say, Hey, this isn't working or this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it, as I say in the old days, they tend to just be shot down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, what, what I found a lot is, is creating an environment where actually you can create a space where people can come and say, this is working for me. This is not working for me. I, um, I have an issue with this person and I, I want to address it. I want to be able to work through it. Um, the, I think in the old days, so much was hidden. Mm-hmm. There's, and, and actually we're learning that the more open we are, the more transparent we are. Yeah. The, the more effective we are. Do leaders, I mean, is that, how important is that as an aspect as a leader to be transparent? I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important, you know, and that comes, you know, Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability and all that. But when a leader can stand up and say, hey, this is the situation. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. And this is what I propose to, to, to do about it. Um, that sent that, 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 you know, leaders, in the old days, sort of were very ego-driven, and they felt like they had to show that they knew all the answers. Yeah. Because otherwise, um, people wouldn't follow them. But actually, uh, and this takes us back to some of the feminine traits that really are needed that have been sort of excluded, is this uh, uh, ability to, to say, I don't know all the, I don't know all the answers. Mm-hmm. And actually, the best leaders are good at that. And what they do is they surround themselves with all the people who are good at the things that that leader is not. So so you have this, this, um, uh, set up of, of people who work together. It's a team. It's a team. And yeah. And I've seen a lot of teams where actually the, the, the leadership of the team revolves and it's like they, they sit together and they say, right, this is the problem. Who's the best leader for this? And somebody says, well, actually, I've got some experience in that, or I think, you know, and th- then they lead until they say, well, actually, I'm now a bit out of my depth. I want to put it back into the middle, and somebody else picks it up. Hey, what an amazing way to lead. You know, it, it takes so much ego out of it. You don't have to be proving things. You're just, as a team, producing the best result. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's interesting to me. The you know it, I learned this as a CEO years ago. I don't have all the ideas. I thought I, I kind of went through that phase that you mentioned earlier, where I you know I I thought I had all the good ideas, was smacking all the balls out of the park, and then I somehow uh, you know started hitting foul balls, and uh, I realized that I didn't have the corner on all the greatest ideas in the world. As a CEO, I didn't have all the great things, and then it became you know, learning to be as a leader to curate and, and to listen to my things. You know, one of the mantras we had around my office that I, I, can't, I stole from somewhere, maybe Tom Peter's book or, or some sort of book, but the, uh, basically this, mon- or maybe it was a friend or a business friend, but there was a mantra we took on, several mantras we took on. One was, uh, the only stupid question is the unasked question. And so it really encouraged people to come forward and, ask questions if they didn't know something because the worst thing you work in is an environment where you're damned or or people you know look at you funny or think you're stupid if you you know you go through training and then you don't ask questions anymore and uh, the one thing i learned the hard way is the person who 
doesn't really understand their job well is the person who's going to break something and cost, you know, a machine to cost you $30,000. And they, they just somehow didn't get it in training. And there, and there's some people that just don't get it and they, they need different ways of training or, or facilitating or whatever. But around my office, uh, we used to say the only, the only unasked question is the, the only dumb question is the unasked question. So you're stupid if you don't open your mouth and, and tell us, you know, what, what, ask questions or why do we do things or, or whatever. And that created a pretty good environment for us because people could come forward without being shamed, you know. There wasn't like this, oh, you didn't learn that in training, you idiot, you know. There was like, okay, well, let's, let's get you up to speed. Uh, let's try this as a training mechanism. Okay, here's what we do. Um, the other thing is I used to explain to my employees, it wasn't so much a, a like go there and do this, work this machine that way. We'd explain to them why we did that and why we'd establish that process, if you will. And that ended up being really smart because since people understand why we did it that way, they were more comfortable with it. But also they could maybe make nuances or innovations to why we did it that way because they'd be like, well, the way you've set this up is kind of silly, Chris. You should have put, you know, A, B, C, D in this order instead of D, B, C, D, you know, in this order. And you could save more money or, you know, be more efficient that way. I'm like, great. You know, and so we tried to encourage that. That uh, I think it came from the Fifth Element book, um, the Fifth Discipline, um, where we try to create a learning organization. Yeah, but you were not just creating a learning organization. You were creating a, an organization where it was safe enough for people to, to speak yeah. out. Exactly. Yeah. We did want it to be safe because like I said, the one guy who would always break something, burn something down or cost me a fortune was the guy who didn't fully understand something in training and, or, you know, he just, he just needed more or she needed more data or information. And, uh, sometimes they just needed maybe some training that was more specific to them. Uh, they say some people learn from training. You know, there's some people learn kinetically. Some people learn visually. Some people learn auditory wise and so you know sometimes you just have to go okay well you know what do we need to do to to drill this into your head and get you to fully grasp it that's right there you go yeah. uh, one of the thing you uh, wrote about too that i was uh, really interested on is you talked to you wrote an article talking about 10 leadership trends for 2023 let's touch on some of that because i think that's pretty relevant to the future what's going out uh one one item the first time you talked about that i love is visionary visionary storytellers Talk to us a little bit about what that is and how a leader sets that tone. Well, I think um, it's storytelling is is enormously powerful. Mm-hmm. People people can relate to stories far more than sort of instructions and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And laying out um, uh, a vision, if you can paint a picture, mm-hmm. then people can can uh engage with that and it's um it it it, uh, it's something that they can position themselves in you Mm -hmm. know and and see them so they could either they can or they can't see either way it's a good thing Mm -hmm. um uh, see themselves in the future so um yeah Yeah. again it's it's about the the enrolling and um Mm -hmm getting people on board. And as you've described, um, if they don't understand or they say, well, hang on a minute, does that actually make sense? Mm -hmm. It it invites that kind of dialogue, which is, is, is really constructive. 
Yeah, you you quoted a gentleman named uh, Dean Carter who led HR and shared services, and he said, a leader for me is someone who has a compelling view of the future, and their way of looking at the future is very compelling to align behind. They always know their vision has to be possible, and the team uh, needs to be able to clearly see their actions that get to be taken. You know, that's so important to me, and I think that's what the big part of what a leader does, you know, he sets a tone, he sets a vision, he sets a goal, he sets a destination, you know, Steve Jobs going, we're going to build an iPhone. And one of my friends was on that team and, you know, Steve Jobs is asking people to, you know, put a, put a, you know, a a fully functional giant phone into this little space, a fax machine, uh, a a mail thing, a, a typewriter, you know, a video cassette recorder, a camera, you know, all these sort of, uh, technologies into this tiny little space and then make it work. And even when he unveiled the iPhone, uh, it, it was still crashing software wise. It didn't crash for him on stage, but, but, uh, the people that built it knew it was, it was crashing. It was like just half a miracle. It didn't crash on stage. You, you, you know, you know what, what he, he did there. You know, mm-hmm. each demonstration he did. Yeah, he had the different. He phones. had a, a different phone, so he went to the and picked up. <laughs> yeah. but he did. He did hold the. He did hold the one phone and went through three. He went through three to four motions or three to four openings, and it still didn't crash. And it was crashing after the third, and uh, <laughs> the team was sitting there terrorized. They were just that's like, right. "Holy shit, that's gonna!" It was the one time it didn't crash actually. Uh, so it, it it was insane. But his vision and his Ability to motivate people to go, we're going to see that mountain there. We're going to chop that thing down and we're going to go right through it. And, and to get people excited, motivated to care about something that almost seemed impossible. And most of your great leaders do that. They, they, there's something impossible, you know, uh, you know, America at one point was a country that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, was the, Last one that wasn't involved in the, in the, in World War Two. Uh, you look at Churchill, someone who stood up and said, you know, we'll fight on the landing beaches, we'll fight on the seas, we'll fight in the oceans, whatever the cost may be, we, you know, we'll just, we'll just keep fighting. Uh, you know, without his sort of moxie, you have to wonder where, what would have happened with the European government if they would have fell, uh, if they would have fallen or folded and changed the face of history. Um, and so, you know, there, there are all sorts of different sites that you can do, but I love that. Uh, and, and I think most leaders should understand that they need to com- they need to have a compelling view. You know, you mentioned earlier about how people put their values up on the wall at the company and the people go, okay, so this is what we're supposed to do. I think it's funny. A lot of, a lot of companies will put that, you know, big PR messages about how these are our values and this is what we do. And I remember early, my early days as an employee, I'd sit and look at people's PR thing and be like, our leader's a lying asshole. Like all the <laughs> values that you put here are a joke. Like this company does the complete opposite of everything here that you posted. Yeah. And the leader is untrustable. Uh, he's, you know, he's running a high school popularity contest management style rather than, you know, a true leadership business sort of style. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's just a farce. It's gaslighting what you put up here. Yeah. And some companies do that. They well, think they, they can PR their way. Some they, still do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But they you, think they you, can PR way BS their way to oh, I don't know efficiency. Yeah, yeah. but you you mentioned Steve Jobs, and before that you mentioned Dean Carter. I, I mean that that interview I did with him was just so amazing. What mm-hmm. a, what a fabulous person he is. 
and the, some of the stories he brought from from Patagonia, um, you know, which was just set up. I, I, I mean, that was set up by a guy, Yvon now all those years ago, because he he felt that the pitons that people were he was a climber, you know, the pitons that people were using weren't. Um, they were destroying, well, actually, that was the second stage. It, we, but he just felt that they, they needed to build better, make better ones. Mm. And he, he had just attracted all these people. And, um, you know, one of his early books was, was um, Let My People Go Surfing. Because he, he just, you know, and, and you know, one of the stories that Dean talks about is, uh, you, you know, within a week of arriving as the head of HR, he had to... Um, go to uh, one of their facilities where they were building a, a facility for, um, for nursing mothers, mm. uh, a crash. And, and um, he had to phone um, uh, Melinda uh, Shrina, who's the, the, the wife of the, 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 the founder, and say, look, um, we're about two months b- behind. And um, she said, okay, then you need to put a message out across the whole company that any woman who is nursing is now on full paid leave until the facilities are ready. Hmm. There you go. There you so go. That, that is purpose. That is, that is vision. It is strength of leadership and determination to, to, to live according to, to your values. Okay. Fabulous. Fabulous. You know, one of the one of the blogs that you guys, I'm sorry, I think you're breaking up. Example. There you go. Uh, one of the one of the blog posts you guys talk about. In fact, I probably shouldn't have mentioned this when I was mentioning Churchill and different things. One of the blog posts you guys have on your website, you talk about uh, Zelensky uh, and the uh, leadership role model of uh, Vladimir Zelensky in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, here's a guy who's living his leadership. I mean, you see him in, you know, he's camped out in, in with his military, uh, his military uh, folks. Uh, he's wearing the uniform. You know, he's not dressing up. You know, you see a complete difference between Putin and uh, Zelensky in <laughs> in their approach. You know, I mean, here's Zelensky. He's in the hospital, shaking hands. You know, very Churchillish. Uh, you know, he, you see him out in dangerous zones, putting his life on the line. He know you. I think we all know his life is on the line, uh, yeah. and that they, the Russian government would love to take him out, and he's not shirking from it. He's owning yeah. it, and, uh, and so you're seeing that from a very uh, real thing, and he's very engaged. And then you're also seeing the disengagement and the kind of the folly of the Russian leadership, and it's almost like a leadership sort of. Uh, uh, opposing views to take a look at. Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Putin with his enormous tables. Yeah, and everybody's sort of a mile <laughs> from him, and Zelensky who's who's there. And I I I don't know. You know, Zelensky came to the U.S. didn't he? And he spoke. Was it to Congress? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to Congress and stuff. Yeah. And and the number of people who criticized him because he wasn't wearing a suit. And it's like, hello, you know. <laughs> <laughs> This, this man, man of war in war. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and good for him. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's the worst thing you can do is, is show that you're disconnected from your people. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if he was to walk around like Putin in suits and, you know, clean and, and, uh, you know, living in whatever mansion, you know, 
Putin lives in. Um, you know, meanwhile, here he is in the probably the basement or wherever of some, uh, you know, uh, military building, probably sleeping on not the best of beds. Uh, you know, not leading a life of luxury. He's not sitting there eating, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, steaks and, you know, having a good time. You're not seeing him out, uh, having a luxurious life. Um, you know, this is a man, uh, who uh, is, is betting on everything and he's doing. Go ahead. Sorry. I, also, he's a communicator. You know, every yeah. day he's 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 communicating with these people. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, sometimes he's got bad news. Sometimes he's got better news. But he's again, there's there's humility and there's transparency. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. That's you know, that's 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 leadership. Yeah. And you, I mean, you see this little country that certainly is is doesn't have the sizable sort of army and military of Russia, but you see the real difference in leadership applied, mm. uh, between those two, you know, dichotomies of, of opposing, uh, vision. And, and it's extraordinary. And it's amazing. It just shows what a leader can do. Um, you know, I mean, if he's got the tools and certainly him being able to communicate like Churchill, you know, Churchill's one of the biggest problems was trying to drag the U S into the war and our resistance to it. And, you know, he, and that was his bet. He was, his bet was he could finally convince us that, that, that we, sh- we should end in the war yeah. and that we would eventually come to him. You know, you hear it in his speeches where he's like, he's like, you know, if we can get the, I don't know, I can't remember if you refer to it as the West or the New World. I think it was he referred to it as. Um, I'm a big fan of Churchill. Um, but, but, you know, the, having that, having that vision, that's what Zelensky did is he went out to everybody and, and said, Hey man, you know, this, this affects us all. We, we're all, this is everyone's war. This is, this is the world is in this We, you know, yeah. we all need to, we need, we need your help. You can't leave us, you can't leave us a flounder. And a lot of people, most leaders you don't see do that, especially in little scuffles that happen around the world. So it's, it's a real, I think it's a real lesson in leadership. I mean, he really inspires me with what he's done. Hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. There with you go. There you go. Uh, you, you talk in some of your other articles, uh, your article about, uh, 2023, 10 leadership trends uh, about some other things. Walk the walk, superb tacticians for the future, nurturers, um, I, I guess, uh, get taking away, uh, reducing toxicity and burnout in the workplace, uh, high culture intelligence, building better teams, innovators, empowers, uh, anything you want to touch on there? Well, I, 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 uh, I mentioned that this, this business about, um, the masculine and the feminine. Um, there's, uh, this, this guy, I don't know how big he is in the U.S. I, well, I think he is probably Andrew Tate, mm-hmm. um, who he's, a, he's a remarkable person. Um, but he's, 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 he's talking about, um, masculinity and mm-hmm. how it's, it's missing because we've all gone woke and we're, you know, um, just want to know about people's feelings and nothing else. And it's, it's a, it's, it's very complex and he makes it sound very simple and therefore it's very palatable to the millions of people who are now following him. Hmm. But it isn't, it isn't so simple. Uh, and actually, um, what we, we need is a, is a, is a combination of, the masculine and the feminine. And, um, you know, he's very disparaging about the feminine. Everything's about a fight. And, and actually, uh, that is an old paradigm. 
It's not about having a fight. We don't have to beat anyone else. Yeah, if you look at it, as a leader, all I need to do is be a better person than I was yesterday. Yeah. So I'm in competition with myself or I'm setting myself standards, but I don't have to beat Joe next door. I, you know, yeah. that, that is, a, that, that is a, um, a waste of energy. And so, um, one of the things that we're really in, certainly in this country, and I, th I think probably in the US as well, we're, 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 there's so much talk about now bullying and, and harassment and, you know, the, mm. the, there's scandals coming out almost every day in this, wow. in this country uh, about, you know, p policemen, rapists and, and all this kind of thing. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so one of the things that really, sets me on fire is helping organizations become safe mm -hmm. and and um that requires the feminine to come in and stand by the masculine the mm. the functional ones not the dysfunctional ones and um so the, the when you caring, mean dysfunctional traits you mean do you mean traits when you say dysfunctional ones or yeah, functional yeah, ones you yeah mean traits? absolutely like, yeah. like human nature traits yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, um, it, it, you know, I, and there's probably some of your listeners not going to like this, but just driving for success, mm -hmm. just for success's sake, oh. is is not is not a it, it, it it's not helpful. And you know, if you look at leadership, and and a lot of very successful in monetary terms leaders. Um, they're driven in such a way that actually at some stage in their life, and, and this is what we, you know, we've created a retreat for this, is for, for leaders to go in and explore themselves because however successful they are, somehow they don't feel like they are successful. There's a, this void, this hole inside mm. them, which is why you get so many leaders who, who are, are addicted to drink or to drugs. Mm. Um, and, um, you, you look at these, these massive dysfunctional, super rich families mm. and, and it's like, no, it, you, you've got to start exploring what's driving you. And, and typically it's a very early experience. It's the, the, the father that did something that, that, you know, just clicked, it's, it's, you know, in, in the child or the mother or the teacher. And, um, what, what I'm really sort of keen on doing is helping people look at themselves much more deeply and say, ah, okay, now I can see where I'm driven like that. I mm. didn't need to do that. It was something that, that was suited me as a child, but it, I, I don't need to satisfy that driver anymore. Mm. And th through that exploration, you can get an inner sense of peace. Oh. And I tell you what, Leaders who have an inner sense of peace are way better leaders. And they are followed by people as opposed to having people dragged behind them. I, I, I can, I can, I can see that. Uh, you know, I mean, Steve Jobs was a great leader, but there was also a dark side to him. He's not an incredible <laughs> asshole. He was a credible asshole. Um, and he was a, a bit almost too driving. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I've seen, I remember seeing this dichotomy when I was growing up, watching leaders and learning from CEOs. There were some leaders I knew that 
they were incredible creators and drivers and successful, but very shortly behind them was this almost snowballing, uh, crash of, of a landslide that of destruction that was chasing them. You know, you see that sometimes in politics, you see that sometimes in great leaders where they're creating a lot, but sometimes the mess they make with the creation they do almost overcomes them. And sometimes it does overcome them where it catches up to them. Um, and you know, you can say, wow, you built, you know, look at like, look at FTX, the, the big Bitcoin thing. You know, everyone vaulted him as a great leader. He's putting the name of his company on, you know, arenas and stuff and, and, and meeting with successful people and, and hobnobbing with them. And he has a mess and no one knows about it. And it's slowly, you know, everyone's like, yeah, you created a billion dollar business, blah, blah, blah. And he has a mess that's chasing him that somehow he's created and it's, be- and it's growing just like a landslide. Yeah. And, uh, eventually it overcame him. Um, yeah. so whatever mistakes he made. And so you can be a great creator. You can be a great driver of success. What are some, I mean, th- there's some distinct differences between masculine and feminine. And someone had asked me years ago, uh, a couple years ago, when I wrote my book, um, what, what the differences were with leadership between leadership and men. And I'm like, well, I just wrote a book that basically talked about leadership and, and I think if men and women both apply those principles, they'll be successful. I didn't write it from a sexual orientation sort of thing where I said, well, women do this or men do that. The, the principles I outlined were just what any successful person can do to achieve. Um, and so it got me thinking and I really started studying, like you talked about the, the, the male and feminine, the masculine and the feminine. Uh, what are some traits in the, in the feminine side? Do you feel that men need to pull over, uh, or, or women need to utilize in the workplace, um, that are good, the, the good traits, as you mentioned? Well, compassion is one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> empathy is another yeah <laughs> um listening mm-hmm. <laughs> you go into a boardroom and 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 watch the one woman in there try and get a word in edgeways mm-hmm. you know and the only way they can do it is by by forcing and that's one of the, the you know if you like the the dysfunctional masculine parts mm-hmm. and you know just to be clear when you talk about masculine and feminine when i, when I talk about it I, i'm not talking about men and women you know, we, mm. we, we, we all have a masculine and a feminine side. Mm. Um, and what I'm interested in is, uh, what, what, what could you be like if you were fully expressed in all of your good traits, mm. as opposed to having to adopt ones that are not yours in order to survive or to thrive in a particular environment? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's the thing. Um, you know, because I think uh, a lot of societies are, um, are, are very, uh, dysfunctionally masculine oriented. And, um, uh, um, um, a, a young man who's tried to ex- sort of express himself in some way, um, finds himself, you know, don't be a pussy, don't be a, a, a wet, don't be, you know, and it's like, no. That person, allow that person to express themselves in their way. I think there's this, this need to conform, to belong, to feel that you can belong. And, uh, and people bend themselves in order to do that. And we lose so much. 
Um, it's like disabled people, or people who are have a disability. I think is probably a better way to put it. Um, uh, th- they get turned away from so many organisations to to work, and yet, th- um, with just a small adjustment, they could have the skills of that person, mm. which could be actually perfect for a particular job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so let me let me ask you this. Uh, let me play devil's advocate on the other side. One of the aspects of of, of the feminine side is egalitarianism, the e- equality. It's socialism, basically. You know, everyone has to be equal. Everyone has to get the same. Uh, everyone has to be supportive. H- how do, how do we keep that from bleeding into an organization where we become a little bit too huggy, a little bit too concerned with each other's feelings? As opposed to, we need to get some shit done around here. Like, we need to go accomplish shit. We just can't sit around and be in our feelings all day long and talk about, uh, you know, can't be huggy. You can't be huggy anyway. And, you know, HR is not going to like that. But, I mean, is there, basically what I'm asking is, is is there a point that we become a little bit too feminine in an organization where, you know, we're not getting stuff done. We're just being too huggy. Well, you use the word egalitarian. And I, and I, that, that, that was an interesting word to use, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know you talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not about egalitarianism, but it is about equity. So, in other words, if somebody, man or woman or whatever, is doing a job, they should get the same pay. For instance, mm. um, and an awful lot of organisations um, use. Uh, the excuse that it's a, a woman, for instance, and therefore they, they get a, a lesser rate of pay. Now that is wrong, in my view. It's, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you went on to say, um, well, if there's a situation and, and, you know, we've really got to drive to, to do what's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that's, um, there's there's a time and a place for everything, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I think sometimes when someone says, "Right, let's do it. We've got to do this. Whoa, there's a problem. Let's solve it and and get on with it." Mm-hmm. And actually, sometimes you get the little lone voice that says, well, "Excuse me, are you sure that's the problem that we need to deal with?" Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they go, no, never mind that. We're, we're going to solve this problem. And of course, uh, what a lot of organizations do is they ricochet from solving one problem, which c- creates all sorts of problems to solving those problems. And, you know, they, they, they never actually get to the root of something, um, where actually the, the, where I think the feminine would say is, let's just reflect for a minute and let's make sure that we are solving the right problem. And um, so I think from that point of view, it has a power that has a place. But, you know, when when there's a fire in the office, you mm. don't sit down and say, right, um, this, this is beginning to feel uncomfortable. I think we should all discuss <laughs> how, how, what we should do now. You know, you say, no, the bloody alarm's going out the door. Yeah. I mean, to uh, me, that still falls under logic and reasoning. Uh, I mean, one of my, one of my uh, CEOs taught me a long time ago, uh, he, he always had this one asshole negative guy on his board and I'd go to the board meetings and, and I'd be like, Oh God, it's John again. And John would go <laughs> off about how, you know, he was negative Nancy basically, um, where, you know, whatever the idea was, he, he had a problem with it. He, he would know what was wrong with it. And, uh, 
but and it was you know it was draining sometimes because you're like and so I went to him one time my CEO friend and I went why do we keep having negative Nancy John come in the board man I'm really he's like a tuber we used to call it back in the day you know some someone who tubes people out and depresses them and uh, uh and and my my CEO friend said to me he goes Chris anytime you build a board because he really helped me become a CEO he goes anytime you build a board. He goes, you want the one that one of the, one of those negative Nancy Joe's on there because that guy is going to be wrong many of the time because he's so negative. But when that guy's fucking right, when he's on the money, he's going to make you millions or save you millions. So you want to listen to him. You want to collect his thing. But to me, that's logic and reasoning. Logic is logic and reasoning is very masculine and it says, okay, what are the best ideas? How, how do we collect these? Okay. So you've reasoned this and you have a different concept of what it takes. Like you mentioned earlier, to solve the problem. And, and, uh, you know, we're the weighing of ideas, the Brent Franklin, you know, thing of drawing a line down thing and go, you know, where the pros and cons, that sort of thing. To me, that's logic and reasoning. It falls under that. But I understand what you mentioned with having the, you know, empathy and caring and, and, you know, I, I think as a leader, if people don't get that you care about them, that you have a uh, intrinsic interest in the value of them and their success as a person, especially now so with these new generations, it doesn't make that a lot of a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on with corporations around the world and, and stuff that we need to do. Anything more, uh, we haven't touched on because we're having a great discussion on leadership. I love this. Ah, leadership. Anything more you want to tease out about who you guys are and what you do and how you do? How, do, how can people work with you? What are the sort of clients that you, that you usually work with? I mean, people that might be listening to this on, on our LinkedIn channels and stuff. How can people reach out to you, work with you? And, and what, what is your ideal client that, that they might be up for? Well, fundamentally, we, we, we work at three levels. We work at uh, an individual level. So that's one-to-one coaching, executive coaching. You know, when you're, when you're at the top of a, an organization, it can be very lonely. You know, sometimes th- th- there is no one to share um, your sense of indecision or not when you're not quite sure. So a coach can really, really help with that. And so, we're, you know, I, I love doing that work. I have done, you know, for the 30 years I've been um, running that business. Um, then at the team level, there's team coaching, but really what what i i love doing is is facilitating so you know you, you i would speak to the ceo and say right you're going to have an offsite you're going to talk about your vision your strategy or something's going wrong you need to deal with and um uh what i'll do is enable the ceo or the the the, the chairman who whichever it is to be a part of the meeting as opposed to um feeling like they've got to run it it takes the weight off them and then they can, they can be just part of the process. So I love f- facilitating those meetings and they, they, and also, um, you, you, the, w- the, w- typically what they say is, my God, this is the first meeting where actually we've stuck to the agenda and we've got to the end of the meeting and done, <laughs> covered everything that we wanted to cover. <laughs> without an external, it can be really, really difficult, you know, so I, I can introduce that, that kind of discipline. There you go. There you go. So what's the best way for people to reach out to you and, and talk to you about uh, working with you and your services? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. uh, Tom with an H, Tom Dennis, and um, I'm uh, 
I'm delighted to, to hear from people at Tom, T-H-O-M, at serenityandleadership.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that's really developed in me is this, this sense of how can I be of service? I, I want to help organizations um, be safer and happier places for people to work in. And, you know, as, as we say, organizations thrive when people thrive. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it, like I mentioned earlier, if a, if a leader doesn't, you know, have his people's best interest, they're not going to feel that they're a part of the journey, they're a part of the vision, you know, you can, and, and I think, I think, you know, one thing that com- companies miscommunicate horribly is, you know, I, I saw someone joking on, uh, on, uh, LinkedIn one time with a meme saying, uh, you know, companies need to walk or <laughs> need to quit saying we're a family and everything when, you know, you can lay off, for example, you know, Microsoft's <laughs> laying 10,000 people off oh. this week. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to quit selling the bullshit that, that, you know, we're a family company and we're one big family, kumbaya. And then you go and ask 10,000 people, you know, you don't, you don't fire off huge parts of your family because I don't know, Turkey, the, Thanksgiving turkey didn't turn out right or something. No, <laughs> I mean that's that's interesting from a from a systemic constellation point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can leave an organization, but you can't leave a family. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, I've tried. Time, it, it, but at the same time, um, to call your organization a family is a very dangerous thing. Yeah, um, because look how dysfunctional most families are. <laughs> yeah, I've tried to leave my family. You know, they're all Mormons, so like, get me out of here. No, I'm just kidding. I love my family, at least some of them. And some of them love me and not all of them. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an atheist, and so I, 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 you know, they don't love me as much. It's a religion thing. What can you do? But, yeah, you can't choose your family. But, yeah, the, the, running around with that acronym and then behaving the opposite of that way is like we talked about earlier with the, you know, when people post their morals and ethics of the company and you're just like, what is, what is this? Like this, it's farce that you posted here. Yeah. And yeah. cynicism, you know, it used to, I think there's one of the things that we, we talked about, the younger people are much less accepting of an environment where there is this dissonance uh, between what, what uh, senior management is saying and then what they're acting out. Yeah. It's just, and people walk with their feet now. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work, work uh, with an organization like yours. I'll go yeah. somewhere where I can, I can feel that what I'm contributing to actually is making a difference. Yeah. It's almost like I think we're slowly moving to more and more this. Uh, you know, people used to tell me that we we go to this society eventually where. It's not, you know, it's a, it's not about the hardware work of, you know, you know, when I went to high school, I learned leatherworking, <laughs> woodworking and machine shop, you know, for metal. Mm. And boy, those skills really paid off. But I, you know, there were things I learned from them that were important, uh, in, in the moxie of my personality or development or, or learning or, I don't know. I, I just always worried in metal shop because the metal shop teacher was missing most of his fingers from the- <laughs> I remember, I remember looking at him going, I'm not sure I want this as a career. You're not an advertisement for someone to be successful in metallurgy. Um, but, you know, there were people that liked that and excel in it. Everyone's got a job. But, um, you know, it, so, you, you know, we moved from this, you know, that I was in an environment that grew up where U.S. Steel was number one on the uh, uh, Dow Jones. 
uh, as the top most uh, worth worth business in the world. You know, now we we're in an environment where some of the top businesses are into electronics and and more intellectual based stuff. Even like Microsoft doesn't sell a hard copy of their software so much anymore as they do, you know, a, a very soft cloud version of their of their of their stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, we we're moving into this environment of entrepreneurism where we all sell ideas and consult each other as opposed to we sweat in some you know, factory, uh, getting dirty and asbestos and everything. And so people have talked about that and it's almost kind of like we're progressing that way with Gen Z, you know, they want that purpose. And a lot of things you see in entrepreneurs is they want a life that they feel makes a difference. You know, they're finding their purpose in life. Um, and you know, and, and it's their purpose, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe I'd be more successful. I worked at IBM, but, but to me, I, I wouldn't trade my purpose for the world. No. And, and that's so important, but it's interesting. I was talking to um, the CEO of, uh, um, uh, an oil refinery not that long ago. And he Mm. was saying, I'm having such trouble recruiting really high grade graduates now. He said, Mm. because they, they just look at the oil industry and they say, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, it's, we, and yet, you know, it's, it's a great industry. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has to die off. And, um, but, you know, I, I, I think people, uh, tend often not to realize the, 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 the depth and the extent of oil and, and how many products actually are based on yeah. some. And, and so, it's not just about electric cars. It's much, much bigger than that. So, um, anyway, it was, it was a, it's, it's a big challenge for him. Definitely. And, and a big challenge for every employer nowadays. I don't, I'm not sure how, what's going on, on your side of the world. I'm sure it's closely the same, uh, line for after COVID. Like you, you mentioned earlier in the show, a lot of people have retired and left the market that were the elderly folks, even people in my age group of fifties, uh, to cash out their 401ks and said, fuck it, I'm going to go live my purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are men who realize that we, we, we tend to die off around 60 and 70 when women outlast us in, in living. And, uh, some of my men friends just said, fuck it, I'm cashing my car 401k and live my life. Cause I'm not going to yeah. live to enjoy this damn thing. Yeah. And, uh, I, they may be short-sighted. They may have living till 90 or 100 to be like, oh shit. But, uh, you know, I think, um, the world that we live in where, you know, we need to find purpose. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting the economy. A lot of these young people, especially the Gen Zers, I think two out of three Gen Zers want to see themselves as wanting to be TikTok stars. You know, we have the, um, we have the, this helicopter parenting generation, the participation trophy a generation. Certainly the millennials, uh, have, have the, in here in America, have one of the worst, worst futures of ever. Um, because, their styles of leadership and business working didn't work out for them. And it hasn't their, their retirement funds are dead for the Mm -hmm. most part. And Mm -hmm. so there's a real concern what their future is. And Gen Z is following with a more lackadaisical, if you want to call it that, I'll call it that in my opinion, um, sort of attitudes in this whole kumbaya egalitarianism of the participation trophy. And that's really what that comes from, from their raising. So I'm kind of concerned um, you know, it may be that that oil, the reason I'm saying this is that maybe that oil, bear, gen, the oil uh, executive, the reason he's not getting people, and we're seeing this in America, 
Uh, you know, you guys have a different trade system there in Europe because you teach people trades very early on and kind of identify what they're good at. Here in America, we just throw everything at you and teach you everything that you'll never use in your life except for, <laughs> I don't know, how to wipe your own butt. Um, you know, to me, it, my schooling, the most important thing I learned was 10, was how to, how to do QWERTY, uh, typing on a keyboard and, you know, not have to sit and henpeck. That's the most important thing I got from my schooling and the most valuable return on investment. Uh, hmm. there, there may be another people that learn stuff like doctors and I don't know, maybe they went to English teaching things. But for me, that was the most important thing. And a lot of it was bullshit that I didn't need to be taught. And over in Europe, you guys, you guys are better at just getting right to the point of treating people what their skills are. But over here, um, the participation generation, they all just want to be YouTube stars and Twitch stars and, and TikTok stars. And so, uh, a lot of the blue collar businesses like your friend in the oil business and a lot of, you know, I, I've even got uh, people that have been on the show that do robotics, but they do industrial robotics. So the robotics is a technology where you're dealing with computers and you're dealing with the very intellectual property of coding computers <clears throat> and repairing them. But the robotic and these guys can make a hundred to $200,000 a year. Uh, and it's very specialized where you, it doesn't take a lot of training, but once you know how to do, uh, deal with the ro robots and stuff, but the robots are working in highly industrial facilities, even like welding and different things like that. And the newest generation doesn't want to work in those environments. They see those environments of, you know, the old type we talked about earlier, like the U.S. steel and the dirtiness, mm -hmm. but they're still like, you know, intellectual groundbreaking technology environments, but they, they have that sort of attitude. And sometimes I wonder how much of that is like what you mentioned earlier, that whole sort of, you know, well, that's oil, that's a bad industry, or, you know, this is a dirty sort of warehousing manufacturing sort of thing that we don't like anymore. And it's a lot of work. We don't want to get our fingernails dirty, or it's more that, you know, um, participation trophy thing where they just want to be, you know, like over here, we, they just don't want to be influencers. It's kind of crazy. And, you know, you're like, you just want to be influencers? Like, how much does that pay? Is that, is that like a job that's got a great 401k? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know if you, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's just kind of some of the interesting things I think see going on over here. Yeah. I, I'm, I suppose I'm more activated by not so much what people are. Um, aspiring to do, uh, yeah, and there's lots of people who want to be in influencers uh, and that, but I think it's more about what is the influence hmm. on these people, yeah, <laughs> uh, and the, um, the, the, the this, uh, I, I talked a little bit about it earlier, that this need, this, this elemental need that we have to belong, to feel that we belong, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think social media is, extraordinary in how it's drawing people in so they they feel that they're part of a, a group and that and yet that and then they become extremely influenced by that mm -hmm. and the whole way that social media is structured is that you just get more and more stuff that accentuates and amplifies what you're looking and seeing and any contrary view is just uh eliminated so you don't you don't get any mm -hmm. of that and I think that's very dangerous because it, it, it adds to the polarization, which is pretty awful on both sides of the Atlantic now. Um, and uh, I, 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 where was it? Yeah, Finland. Finland now, they're, they're teaching children from a very early age at school to uh, question social media and to look for second opinions and 
and to check the, the veracity of things that they're reading. I think that's amazing. And, and what, what that's doing is helping people to be independent and, and be independent thinkers as yeah. opposed to just, uh, um, seeing something and it's sort of fitting with a, a, a paradigm that they're in. I think that's, that's super scary, that bit. I really like that idea. We need to, th- we need to teach critical thinking more. Yeah. Especially, uh, I don't know, on, on your end of the world, you guys are pretty smart. Britons are always smart, in my opinion. Um, over here, we're just a bunch of idiots running around, drunken idiots half the time going, Arr! you know, my Canadian friends go, oh, geez, do we have to live next to you people? That's a joke, folks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, we, you've seen us lately. I mean, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I lived in the, the U.S. for six years and I, I, I loved it. Um, and, um, yeah, but the thing is, it's a big place and you get all sorts. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think your media is pretty, pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, well, we're a melting, we're a melting point of idiocy. I mean, smart ideas. Uh, did I say idiocy? I don't know. I don't know. We're a melting pot of, I don't know, whatever. It's all bubbling and boiling and just, we're, it's, it's, it, we're an interesting group of people, but you know, I mean, we've done really well. I mean, what is it for about since the 1940s or fifties, we've been known as the asshole Americans. So we we own it. <laughs> Us damn Yankees. Uh, what are we gonna do? Uh, but uh, we did steal off one of your uh, Royals. So there you go. We're we're still we're still stealing stuff off you guys. That that, that is a subject. Two hundred fifty years. We're still. <laughs> the Queen's like not again. We got fooled again. Damn it. Damn it. The who was right. Pete Townshend. Thanks. Um, we don't get fooled again. I'm not even sure that that's what that song was about, but I think it was. I think it was about the American Revolution, wasn't it? I don't know. Okay. Well, <laughs> you can call. Uh, Pete's over on your end of the world. I'll let you call him and ask him. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful and insightful. It's been a great discussion, Tom, about leadership and companies and, you know, some of the things that people have to address and leaders need to address of what's going on in this new world, this new future and like you mentioned, a lot of a lot of my fellow leaders are struggling with the Gen Z thing, but you know this is the future, and they're probably going to bring changes that hopefully make things better. And if not, I, well, no, fuck. I believe that, I, I believe that they will. I, I really do believe that they will. But we're, the, this world has got to go got to go through a. I mean, it's like we're mm, a, 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 a snake um, shaking off an old skin. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's going to take some years yet, and they're going to be bumpy, hard, um, challenging years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, th- I really think that generation will will come good. It yeah. will be interesting. I mean, we have fewer men going to college than ever. We have a lot of women. Uh, there's <clears throat> there's interesting dichotomies going on with uh, you know shrinking uh, populations. China, you know, yep. first, saw its first drop. Japan as well. Um, you know, Japan is really in the spin out cycle that no one's getting married. No one's having family. No one's having kids. Even in Europe, you have, uh, more women in Europe that are single over the age of 30 that have never been married, no kids than, uh, are not. Um, so we have some kind of some generational things that are going on with, uh, with what's happening. And, you know, here in America, um, you know, there's a lot of hypergamy where women marry up. And they marry guys who are earning more money and provide and providers. And so without these young men going to colleges, they're not 
you know, they're not going to be the high earner guys. And now we're seeing like very large companies that are, that are saying we're not going to require college education anymore. They're recognizing that, that the systems are changing. Even our colleges are now under assault where they're realizing that, you know, everyone's kind of woken up to the fact that the amount that they were charging for colleges here in, in America <laughs> um, didn't equate to a return on investment and turned into a, almost a lifetime of slavery and denture servitude towards a payment for your college education. Yeah. So it's that, kind of interesting, the journey. Terrible, terrible thing, particularly the, the interest rate that they, they, they charge. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. I, I I've never seen the logic in that. I'm sure there is one, but I <laughs> no, there's no logic to it. There's there's profit. We have we have what's called unbridled capitalism in this world. You guys should try it over there sometime, but don't. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have balance. It's good to have it, some things regulated. It hurts. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, the, the smarter you can make your your population, the better. But some politicians like uh, dumb populations. Uh, anyway, really insightful, Tom, to have you on the show. Great to have you. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, wherever you want people to follow you. Serenityinleadership.com. And uh, my email, Tom, T-H-O-M, at serenityinleadership.com. There and I'd go. love to hear from people. You know, the people may have agreed or disagreed with things that um, we've said. I, I, it would be really nice to... Well, really interesting to to hear what uh, the, this 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 conversation, which has been great, um, has evoked in people. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure we we'll get the comments, especially on YouTube. We always get those. Sometimes they're insane. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> YouTube's it's a you know social media is always one of those things that you get the comments like you're stupid and and they you know then they'll cite something about aliens or the flatness of the earth or something and you're just like okay well. There's you, but welcome to the world. Uh, anyway, Tom, it's been great to have you on. Thanks for being Thank on you, the show. Chris. Yeah, Thank you. brilliant. There you go. And uh, thanks, Manas, for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. Without you guys, we wouldn't bother. We just wouldn't even bother. Well, I'd probably bother with Tom. We didn't sit and have an intellectual <laughs> conversation. But we're glad you joined us. In the meantime, refer the show to your family, friends, relatives. Go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Foss. The big 130,000 LinkedIn group, uh, the LinkedIn newsletter, follow that, the Chris Foss show on LinkedIn. Uh, we just launched one of our new shows. We should talk about that. I just launched yesterday called Las Vegas Podcast. We're going to be interviewing our good friends in Las Vegas, leaders and, and the businesses and stuff like that. So we're launching that. Watch for that. Uh, I think it's on iTunes and stuff now. Thanks for tuning in, people. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And uh, we'll see you next time. Ha <laughs> ha.